Would you turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 4? Matthew chapter 4 will be our key text this morning as we begin our new sermon series on growing Christ followers. I've told you before about my grandfather, Papap. That's what I called him. I have a cousin that's a few months older than me, but I talked first, and I was the first grandkid, so I got to name him first, so it didn't come out Grandpa or Grandpap, but when I said it, it came out Papap. For some reason, I like to repeat things. Anybody here ever heard me repeat anything? Yeah. But what you may not know, now some of you that do, be quiet. Don't tell them boys and girls that have been to children's camp. Don't tell them some of you adults that have been here before that my first name is not Aaron. You know me as Aaron, but my first name has an initial P. And so I tell the boys and girls at children's camp, they can call me PA just for fun. And PA stands for Pastor Aaron, but it also stands for, and everybody that knows it, say it. Paul Aaron. It says so right here in my Bible in case I forget. Paul Aaron Householder. But where I get the name Paul from is my grandfather, my papap. Paul Jacob Householder. Now, he died when I was just seven years old of his third heart attack in 1977. But he was a foreman of a dairy farm in western Pennsylvania, and he was my hero. I wanted to have boots like my pap-pap. I wanted to have jeans like my pap-pap. I wanted to choose some red man like my pap-pap. They didn't let me do that. But he always made sure I had plenty of bubble gum to chaw on. And walking through those fields where the cows would be with the cow pies, I would walk like my pap-pap, but I would have to take bigger steps than he did to make sure I didn't step where I shouldn't step. And when we got in his old pickup truck, he'd pat the seat right behind him, and I'd slide over right beside him in that old Ford pickup truck, you know, that smelled of all sorts of things. And that was me and my pap-pap. And I'd follow that man anywhere. We're talking about following. And we're talking about following Jesus. All of us love folks here on earth and folks that we trust and folks that we have relationships with. And we know that we would follow them anywhere. But when we begin our sermon series today, we're going to start with this idea of who is Jesus? And in our passage of scripture this morning, we're going to focus on two words, follow and me. I told those people that were there yesterday at the servants meeting, I said, hey, my sermon tomorrow is going to be on following me. So if you know that, you just stay home. But thankfully, they're here. We're glad you're here. And what it means to follow and who is the me that we are following. And this is really the foundation for what we're going to look at in the weeks ahead. And that's where we are as a church, where we can be as a church, and how do we get there? We've got to honestly consider our current state of things from our adult fellowship and our Sunday school classes to our building that is showing its signs of aging. And we've got plans and some things already in the works and other things uh, planning ahead for our worship and what we do here in the worship center and this worship service and how we invite people or don't invite people and why not. When we consider our adult Sunday school classes, what could we do to improve upon our current Sunday school Can we add small groups in addition to or instead of Sunday school that would give some other option for folks? Creating new units and having folks that would say, yes, I'd be willing to teach. You give me a little help, give me a little training, and I'll lead a new class. And for our properties and buildings, 
We've already got some things under works. Um, you know, you've got the new partitions in there now. We'll have a new west entry doorway out there. We're going to put carpet in the children's classrooms and paint the walls there in the months ahead. And then in a few weeks, we'll introduce to you the idea of giving to grow. It's on your uh, offering envelope now, and we talk about it off and on, but reinvigorating giving to grow in order to do things like completely renovate our bathrooms and then one thing after the next after the next as we look at taking care of our physical building almost as a symbol of everything else we're doing spiritually and as a body. And so all those things are ahead of us in the next few weeks as we preach. But this morning we focus on those two words, follow me. So if you've got your Bible in front of you, and you've opened it already like I asked you to, and you're able to sin with me in the honor of reading God's Word, I'd ask you to do that as well. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word this morning and come to this passage of scripture that is so familiar to many of us, and we consider this simple instance of Jesus, your son, calling his first disciples. First two brothers, and then quickly thereafter two more. We pray that you'd teach us through this, and we pray, Father, that we'd respond. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Jesus invites us, follow me. Follow me is the essence of Christianity. Being a Christ follower. You know, around here we use the term Christ follower. It's a colloquial term for a disciple of Jesus. Because if we were to say disciple of Jesus to somebody who's not a believer, hasn't been to church before, and doesn't know much about the Bible, they probably are going to get weird ideas about what a disciple is. You know, maybe somebody that's way out on the fringe or something crazy. And although compared to some in our culture as believers in Jesus, and particularly evangelical believers in Jesus, we might be a little fringe and we might be a little crazy. We're not that fringe or crazy. So we use a term, Christ followers, that helps people understand, yeah, Christ, oh yeah, that's Jesus. Follower, I know what it means to follow somebody, to interpret for our culture what a disciple is. A disciple is a student, a learner, an apprentice. A disciple is someone who sits at someone else's feet to be trained by them and that someone else shows them how to do it. Doesn't just tell them, but walks with them through life together. And so that's why we use this phrase, be a Christ follower. And that's why it's our purpose of our church, growing Christ followers, making disciples, training disciples, growing disciples, growing Christ followers is who we are. So let's look at our passage of Scripture. 
Jesus is walking beside the Sea of Galilee. So this is his region, his home area. He didn't grow up too far from here in Nazareth. And he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. They were doing their job. This is who they were. And it very well may be that Jesus had met them before today, so it's not like, you know, they just went, whoa, we don't know this guy, but we're going to follow him. And as I was interested to know, you know, somebody walks up to you and says, hey man, follow me. You're going to be like, uh, I don't know you. I don't know where you're going. And, you know, I got work to do. I mean, we got lots of reasons why we're not following somebody, right? But what in the world would compel these guys to follow Jesus? And I'm thinking, did Jesus already do some amazing things that they knew he was powerful and miraculous? If you look in Luke, Luke chapter 4, the end of Luke chapter 4, you see there already was an instance where Jesus had cast out a uh, demon from a man and Jesus had already healed people. So maybe they heard of that, right? Maybe they were there and even saw it. Maybe it wasn't them, but they knew somebody that was. It was like, dude, this guy, Jesus, he's got some miraculous power. And there may have been some times, not recorded in Scripture, and Scripture alludes to them where Jesus had done some teaching. Even when he showed up in the synagogue and he said, hey, uh, this is who I am. I, I, they, I, you know, I'm basically saying that he's the Messiah. And so there had been some things about who Jesus was, what Jesus did, and his presence that when he says to them, follow me, they were like, yeah. Verse 19 says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So two phrases we need to consider here. The first is that one that's translated in my NIV, come follow me. It literally means come after me. There are two different words primarily used in the New Testament to, for follow. And this is the least common one. But this one is unique in the sense that it means to follow after. And this one is unique in the sense that it is the word in their culture that a teacher would use for his disciples or students. That you follow after me, and where I go, you go. What I say, you say. What I do, you do. So it's a very specific word, and it literally means to come after. It's translated follow for us, and that's the way I'll use it here with our Christ followers. But look at verse 20. It says, at once they left their nets and followed him. Now, that's the more common word for follow. So we have both of these words in the same passage. That's why uh, I'm not calling this sermon, come after me or anything like that, but follow me, because that's there as well. And it implies discipleship throughout the book of Matthew. So your first blanks on your outline. Follow. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Jesus said, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. We'll deal with that in a second. And it says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. That repeated call in verse 21 and 22. Then he meets two other brothers. He probably knew them already, James and John. And he says to them, follow me. And immediately they came and followed him. So your first answer to this is living totally committed to Jesus. Living totally committed to Jesus. To live with radical abandonment to God's glory through Jesus. Laying behind, laying down, abandoning everything that we have 
even though it doesn't make sense to follow Jesus. When you realize who he is and you realize what God has called him to do. Leaving. Laying down. Abandoning these things is the only option that really makes sense. Even though at first glance and from our worldview, we think this is crazy to live in total dependence on Jesus, to follow him for everything. What does total commitment look like? Most of us really aren't totally committed to many things. We're just mindlessly existing. I mean, we go from week to week, day to day. We do what we're supposed to do. We pay our bills. We're good citizens. We uh, abide by the laws. We try to take care of our bodies and eat right, but maybe not too much. We know we should get some exercise, but, eh, you know, uh, not all the time. I'll fit it in when I can. We know we need to parent our children well and all the things we know we need to do. And we don't, as often as we should, in my opinion... Live with focus, effort, intention, and attention. And when faced with something new, we all silently ask two questions. Is it worth it? And can I do it? The first question, is it worth it, is a question about motivation. I mean, is this worth the time, effort, and energy I'd have to put into this thing to make it happen? And some of us, even when it comes to the things of God and the things of church, are like, eh, I don't think so. I don't know that I can give an hour or two each week to do that. And then the can I do it is the other reason that, well, I don't know how to do that. I don't have enough knowledge to do that. I'm afraid of what people might say if I don't do it right. And that question of can I do it and the question of ability. And these two things challenge every decision we make. But friends, let me remind you, Jesus is right in the middle of your fears and your weaknesses. Amen. And we're going to end there today. And so this is going to be one of these Sundays when you fill in the last blanks in your outline. I'm going to tell you not to put away your outline. I'm just warning you now, okay? Because I have one more scripture I want you to write down and not just listen to me when I read it, but write it down so that you can go home and look at it. Living totally committed to Jesus is part of what it means to follow Him. Your second subpoint there and answer is regularly sharing Jesus with others. Obviously, when Jesus speaks to these guys who were fishermen for a living, and he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men, he's making a play on words. But it's a calling all of us have. If you read 1 Peter 2.9, we are supposed to be prepared to give answers and that we're supposed to follow Jesus for everything. John 15.5, ask him anything. But you think about the idea of being a fisherman, that a fisherman, and some of you are fishermen and some of us are not. And some of it is just what you like to do or what you grew up. And some of it is your character and ability. Because I think to be a good fisherman, from my observation, you need a few things. It's not just that you need a boat or you need a rod and reel. But you need some patience. Amen? You need some perseverance to keep on casting that rod out. You need some instinct or experience to say, you know, the conditions are not right here. It would be better if we went here this time of day. You need the ability sometimes to kind of hide yourself and, you know, not have the sun behind you where the fish can see you or stay still. There's all kinds of things that have to do with your character and the manner in which you fish that lead to your success as a fisherman. When it comes to following Jesus 
and regularly sharing the lesson or the message of his love for us and his love for others, some of those same character traits are need, needed. To live with faithful adherence to Jesus' purpose or person, to know who he is and to follow him. That it's our mission in life to make Christ our life. To be fishers of men is to be a disciple, or not just to be a disciple, but to be a disciple maker. That we are trying by our efforts, our words, our actions, on a regular basis with intentionality to share Jesus and invite others to consider Him. Would they consider Him their Lord and their Savior? It's not an extraordinary picture. But it should be an ordinary picture of what it means to follow Jesus, to regularly share Jesus with others. For most of us, it comes to that question of ability, that I don't know all the answers. And if I try to tell my friends about Jesus, they're going to throw some questions on me that I don't know the answers to. What's my answer to that? Great! Then you have to go find out the answer and two things will happen. Number one, you'll never forget that answer again because of your fear or your shame for not knowing it. But number two, you get an opportunity for a second conversation about Jesus Jesus with your friend. So we have these excuses, but we shouldn't. We should be faithful. So... What does it mean to follow Jesus? Two subpoints quickly from this text being totally committed to Him and regularly sharing Him with others. And what I'd propose you in this is like the good old hymn Trust me, try me. Trust me, try me. I mean, how are you going to know unless you try? Following Jesus more earnestly than you do today. Then that means for you maybe reading Scripture more frequently. Being more intentional about your times of prayer. And not just trying to do it on your own, but saying, Okay, God, what does the Bible say about how I should solve this? What does the Bible say about my character and how I want to act in this situation? What does the Bible say about what is right and wrong for me to how to handle this situation? And then prayerfully saying, Okay, God, if that's what the Bible says... That's not my heart. That's not my mind right now. God, you've got to change it. Or by an act of my will, I'm going to do it even if I don't feel like it. Following Jesus. Being committed to Him. But here's the bigger question. And the one that should motivate the answer to what does it mean to follow Jesus. And that's the second question on your outline. And that's the me. Who is this Jesus we're following? And if you're a Southview member and you've been here, you can hear Flo Shaw saying, Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus we are following? You've got your Bibles, right? So if you're um, in an electronic Bible, I'm going to ask you to push whatever button you need to push to get to uh, chapter 1 of Matthew, right? So page back a page or two. And if you've got a real Bible, let me hear the pages turning to get to chapter 1 of Matthew. Because it's interesting to me, and this was not my observation at first, but Dr. David Platt, that when Jesus said, come follow me, that the me, he's already defined in almost 20 different ways. In just the first four chapters of Matthew. And that's just the first four chapters of Matthew alone. So let's walk through this together. And so I'm in my Gospel of Matthew 
chapter 1, verse 1, look at what it says. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So right there, you get four different titles for who Jesus is. Because Jesus isn't just his name, it's his title. We're going to find that out more in a minute, that he will save his people from his sins. And that he is the Christ, the Messiah. So yes, we call it like his, his name, Jesus the Christ, like Kermit the Frog or John the Baptist or something like that. But it's, it's not really his name, it's his title. He's the Messiah. And that he is the son of David, he is the son of Abraham. So right there in verse 1 of chapter 1, we have four different titles recognizing who Jesus is. Now check this out, friends. If you want to get really studious with this, you can write down all these different names of who Jesus is that I'm going to tell you about. And you can go back in your Bible, and there's probably a little footnote that will take you back in the Old Testament and will take you in a whole world of study for each and every one of these titles and who Jesus is. So these just aren't like quick little nicknames. These are names with meaning. These are names with purpose, right? So let's go on. And you read all the way through there, and you've got Abraham and David and the father of this, the father of that, right? Uh, And you come on down uh, into uh, verse 18 about the birth of Jesus and, you know, talking about his father and so on and so forth. And then look at verse 23. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. And this one is even defined for us right there. God with us. That's the fifth title I see of who Jesus is. He's not a distant God. He's not a foreign God. He's not an absent God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And it's not just something we put on a Christmas card and not just something we sing at Christmas time. Friends, 24 7, 365, Jesus is God with us, with you. Not just the other people you know, but with you. If you read on through and turn to chapter 2. In chapter 2, you get the story of the visit of the Magi. And look in verse 2. Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? Another title of Jesus that, again, has all sorts of historical significance. Not only is he God's son, but he's king of a whole people that was prophesied. Look on down to verse 6. But you, Bethlehem, this is going back a prophecy, right? From Micah 5.2, But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judea are by no means least among the rulers. Out of you will come a ruler, that's another title for Jesus, who will shepherd my people Israel, another title for Jesus. As you keep reading in chapter 2, you get to verse 15. Where we stayed until the death of Herod was so fulfilled, the Lord said, that through the prophet, out of Egypt, I called my son. God is calling Jesus his son right there. It was prophesied that he was son, that his son. So that's in breath. To know. Now look, go on to verse 23. And he went and lived in the town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. Again, a prophecy from the past, but a title of Jesus identifying him as who he was and where he was from. Look at chapter 3, chapter 3 and verse 3. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the desert, preparing the way for the Lord. Another title of Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ. And it's right there. This prophecy of Isaiah saying who John the Baptist would be. If you read in 
verses 12 through 13, you get some of who, what Jesus will do. But I don't know that we can stretch that into a title for Jesus. But skip down to chapter 3, verse 17. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son. Not only is Jesus the Son of David, the Son of Abraham, but God now calls Him my Son. And He says, Whom I love and whom I am well pleased. Now hang on with me. we just got two more, friends. Chapter 4, verse 3. The tempter came to Him and said, If you are the Son of God. So not only has God called Jesus His Son, but now the devil is calling Jesus the Son of God. But a different variation of that title. Look on down to chapter 16, or verse 16, excuse me. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. That great light is referring to Jesus. So friends, I just walked you through very quickly 15 different titles just in the first four chapters of Matthew of who Jesus is and who the Jesus is that we are following. But let me give you a couple of aside. The first answer there is that he is the prophesied son of God. The prophesied son of God when he is the son of Abraham, the son of David. He is the king of the Jews because the king had to come from the line of David. That, that he is a Nazarene. These different titles, these different identifications say that He is God's Son, as Scripture said ahead of time. 600 years, 1,000 years, 1,200 years, 2,000 years before Jesus was born. These very specific prophecies of who He is, what He would be known for, where He would come from, and His character traits are all in Scripture. He's not just some Yehu. He's God's Son. And God had a plan for him to come and redeem humanity long before any of humanity knew he was even coming. The second answer there is that he is the expected Savior of humanity. The expected Savior of humanity. When we consider what Scripture says, even in these first four chapters of Matthew, and all the history that's loaded behind that of who Jesus was, we see that He is the Savior of the world, the center of history, the righteous judge, the light of the world, and then a hope for all nations, all peoples of all times, that Jesus is clearly and absolutely worthy of far more than our nominal adherence or our casual association. Jesus because of who He is, demands our lives. And friends, we shouldn't patronize Him. He's infinitely worthy of all the glory in the universe. And He asks us, come follow me. The God of the whole universe sent His one and only Son to save us from our sins. And he says, come follow me. He's worthy of our supreme adoration and our total abandonment because of who he is. He saved you, not because of your righteousness, but because of his grace, because of his mercy, and to give you the gift of eternal life and abundant life. 
The eternal life of which Jesus speaks, Dallas Willard says, is not knowledge about God, but an intimately interactive relationship with Him. Some of you might need to write that down. I'll read it to you again. The eternal life of which Jesus speaks is not knowledge about God, but an intimately interactive relationship with Him. Jesus didn't just come to be God's son and to be your savior just so you could go to heaven. Jesus came to save you, to make your life different, to give you a different perspective, a different mind, a different heart, a different way to live that is better, far better than those that don't know him. And that includes you inviting others to know him like you do. Keep in mind that Satan knows us by our sins, but Jesus knows us by our names. And He, the Savior of all humanity, calls you by name and invites you to come follow Him. So you've got a third summary section. And remember, I told you not to put up your outlines after you fill in the blanks. That third summary section says, since this is who Jesus is, All these titles and more is who Jesus is, what God has intended him to be for all people of all times. Since this is who Jesus is, and the next statement says, and since this is what Jesus desires, follow me. Our abandonment, our commitment, our intention, our affection, our intellect, our very life, It doesn't mean that you're going to leave your job as a teacher or leave your job as a salesperson or leave your important role as a stay-at-home mom. It doesn't mean that you're going to leave your job, but that in your job, you will be like Christ. Granted, it can mean that you may leave your job. It may be that you're an engineer and you're living life and everything's going great and God says to you, You're living for here, but I want you to live for eternity. And He calls you to be a missionary. He calls you to be a pastor. He calls you away. He calls you to be a new vocation. But so often, Jesus desires us to live like Christ where we are and to be missionaries where we are. So this begs a question for us. If this is who Jesus is, and this is what Jesus desires, how well am I following Jesus. How well am I following Jesus? It's easy for us to compare ourselves to the guy down the pew or the guy that doesn't attend church. But that's not our standard. Our standard is the sinless perfection of Christ Himself. And in a world where 4.5 billion people live without Christ, And several billion of those have never even heard his name or would know how to follow him at all. We don't have time to waste our lives not following him. To follow our king means abandonment, dependence, adherence on his grace to his person. So I told you not to put up your outlines. I'm going to ask you to turn with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Thank you for being patient with me as we got there. And I want you to write down 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 26 and 30 down on the bottom of your outline there. 
because I want to leave us with the thoughts of Paul as he wrote to the Corinthian church about who they were when God called them. Because it applies to us too. We have some exceptional individuals that call Southview their church home. And all of us are made in the image of God, but when we look at the standard of the world and everything around us, we think we're just, you know, a couple hundred folks. We're not that special compared to other churches or other people or other places. I mean, you could say, geez, we're in Lincoln, Nebraska. But look at what Scripture says about who we are. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 and following. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Think for a minute. When you came to faith in Christ, who would you identify yourself as? What was your character like? What sort of sinfulness and duplicity did you have, even if you were a child when you came to faith in Christ? Think of when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. I.e., you're not the things that the world judges as powerful or important. But God chose. Everybody say, but God chose. But God chose. What did He choose? The foolish things of the world. Hey, man, thanks, that's me. To shame the wise. The weak things of the world. Is that you? To shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before Him. It is because of Him, God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Let's pray together. God, our Father, when we consider who we were and who you've called us to be, that just like Simon, when you said to him, or Jesus said to him, as recorded in John chapter 1, you are Simon. He's a fisherman, a rough and tumble guy, uneducated guy, but a hardworking guy, impetuous and rash. You are Simon, but you will be Peter, the rock on which my church will be built. The guy who preaches without fear. The guy who leads countless thousands to faith in Christ. The guy who writes books of the Bible we still read 2,000 years later. That we are the same way. That our wisdom... Our righteousness, our holiness, our very redemption is a gift from you, God. And God, it's our prayer that if there's a soul here this morning that knows that they've never trusted Christ as their Savior and Lord, and they need to make that decision today that they would. 
And God, our prayer is for those of us that are followers of Jesus, who are not following Him as we should. We're not as committed and intent. We're not abandoned. We're not focused or thoughtful on being Christ's followers. Father, would we repent and turn from that sin in whatever way you call us to? So God, we come before you today as your people and we respond to your invitation. Come follow me. May we do that this morning in the name of Jesus, the one who invites us. Amen.